0: Good morning, church family, and welcome to Clear Clear Creek Church. My name is Josh Diggs, at least I think that's my name at this moment. I'm one of the ministers. It's so good to see you together today on this. Happy Father's Day. Today we're going to celebrate our daddies and the perfect father in heaven. Now, as a church, I need to say a few things. Number one, this is a church that will always honor fathers. This world needs good daddies. Amen? And aren't you glad that we're a part of a church that is so full of so many wonderful fathers? That would have been a great moment to say yes or amen. I mean, Aren't you glad? (laughs) Look, you're married to some of them, at least for his sake, okay? This is a good day to celebrate dad's church. Did you know that the number one term, the number one picture used to describe God is as a father? And so it's very appropriate as those of us who very imperfectly attempt to step into that God-given role that we look at it through the lens of God. But before we do that, we want to celebrate our dad. So, if you are a father, and I'm going to give you two categories, if you are a biological father, meaning you're the reason someone else is here today, or you are a spiritual father, meaning you may not have biological children, but you have taken it upon yourself to be a spiritual daddy could I get all the daddies to stand up would you do that come on stand up and can you just celebrate the dads this morning yeah guys stay standing don't no no don't sit don't stand up stand up stay up step stay up. I knew you're gonna do it stand up here we go I'm going to ask you, we're going to pray a blessing over you. If you are near someone standing, would you just put a hand on a shoulder or a hand? And we're going to pray blessings over these men who have had to step into a difficult world and yet lead as best they know how. We want to pray good things over them. So let's do that. Our Father in heaven, thank you for daddies. Thank you for men who, whether by accident or intent, have stepped into the role of guiding others' lives. We love these men. We celebrate and cherish their effort. We thank You for the sleepless nights, for the crying babies, for the games of pitch, for the hard conversations, for more sleepless nights as they wait for that teenager to show up, for the hard conversations that no one wants but good daddies have. Lord, we thank You for these good men. We pray Your Spirit will lead them, empower them, And Lord, every person in this room, not just the men, but everyone in here is a sinner. Everyone in here has sinned and messed up. And we all go, how can we fix it? And the short answer is, we can't. But we thank You that You did. And today, I pray that these men would rest in the fact they don't have to be Superman because the one God-man has come and fixed it all. It's in the name of Jesus, we thank You for these fathers. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, today we are in part three of a teaching called Asking for a Friend, where we're answering some tough topics with biblical answers. All right, here we go. Part three, questions to tough topics. Today's topic is one for everyone. Now, we're in a Father's Day teaching today, but I want to wake you up. If you are a young man, what I'm about to say is absolutely for you. If you are a single mom... This message is, believe it or not, for you as well. If you are a hairy-legged dude who's dating, this is absolutely for you. And all the dads with little girls said, right? Okay, so we're going to talk honestly today. But here's the question I want us to jump into. Here it is. Are you ready? Picture up what makes a little boy a man? What makes a little boy a man? After all, if we were to ask people in culture, what makes a boy a man? We get lots of different answers. So before we ask culture, let's ask one another. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Turn to someone within your vocal range and share with them a word or picture that describes a man. Ready? You've got 10 seconds. Share. I definitely just heard someone say killing someone. Keep going. Three more seconds. All right. Based on what I heard yelled out, we're not going to call on the audience this morning, okay? So let me give you a few other ones instead. Some of us, if I were to say, give me a word, give me a picture, how would you describe a man? Some of you would say, well, he's got to be a guy who wears flannel. He's the lumberjack dad. Others would say it's not flannel, rather, if he can grow a righteous goatee, mustache, beard. In other words, if he is not follically challenged. Others in here might not say it's flannel or a beard, but rather, he just hunts wild beasts. Even if it is that rogue spider that your wife gets a little nervous about. And then there are others of us who go, no, 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 it's, it's the Marlboro Man. How many of you remember the Marlboro Man? Any of us know what this is? Yeah, this is back a few years, right? Rugged facial features and rugged individualism, that is a man. Others would say, no, 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 a man is someone who can fix anything. In fact, household appliances are so afraid of my dad that when he comes near, they fix themselves. Yeah? Or what about this? Some would say, no, it's someone who's muscular or physically fit. And still, others would say, it's none of those things. It's just a dominant personality. Some would say, now, it's none of these things. Or maybe I don't know how to use words to describe it. So instead, someone might say, well, well, let me give you a picture of a man. And they may say... This is a man (laughs) After all anyone who will give himself the name the rock must be a man Now some of you go who's that? All right, let me let me roll back the tape for some of you. It will not be this but it'll be the duke John Wayne Howdy pilgrim. Okay, that's terrible. We won't do that again Some of you say well, I don't get either of those because you live between those So maybe you'd say dirty Harry, clint eastwood. He has a gun. He knows how to use it. That's a man or what about this? Someone would say it's maybe not these, but it's well, it's a guy who pulls himself out of poverty or obscurity. Bum bum, 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 right? Rocky, that's a man draped in the flag. And the others say it's not if he's draped in a flag, but if he can wear a kilt and still kill you with his looks. This is a man. Not someone who pulls himself up, but raises other people out. And still others. Now don't put this up yet, but for others, for me. I'm going to tell you, I think this next picture, don't do it yet, don't do it yet, but this next picture for me is the definition of a man. And the reason is, is because, I will tell you, this is a man so much so because we've come up with fun facts about this man. Who is the manliest man around? Chuck Norris. (laughs) He is such a man, you've heard this, he is such a man that when the boogeyman goes to sleep at night, the boogeyman checks his closet for Chuck Norris. What's my point? we got a lot of pictures. We've got a lot of words for what makes a man. And then on top of all this, now we then hear this weird phrase that has become very popular over the past five years. There's a thing called toxic masculinity. Have you heard of this? Well, what is it? Okay, so the definition is it's a cultural concept of manliness that glorifies or elevates or says yes to stoicism. Well, that's the marmoral man says yes or glorifies strength. Well, that's everyone we just saw on the screen. It glorifies virility or dominance. Again, all the pictures we are given of men, isn't that? Basically, every manly man has just been described and it says that is toxic masculinity because it is socially maladaptive or harmful to mental health. And so I come back to the question, what makes a boy a man? And if you are a young man wanting to grow up, I want to begin with the obvious. A deeper voice and facial hair is not the marks of a man, which is great news for anyone who's a little bald on the chin. And if you're a mom who does not have a spouse in your corner and you're trying to raise young men to be grown men, and you're going, I don't know how to do this, I want to give you some comfort this morning that the biblical picture of masculinity does not require a gun license or a flannel shirt, but everyone who is a boy can become a man. And so if we're not going to get our answers from culture, let's go back to the creator of masculinity, of men themselves. Let's go to God, the creator Who forms the first man and gives us a picture of what it means to go from being little boys to grown men. This is Genesis chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 15. And would you stand with me this morning in honor of God's Word? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to watch it, or work it rather, and take care of it and the Lord God commanded the man you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die this is God's word let's pray Holy Spirit show us today what it means to be a man and I pray for all my brothers that they would take a deep breath and know that You make up for all of our lack. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go. The essence of biblical manhood. The definition that I believe will carry us through is boiled down to three words that are found within this text. Write these down. Number one, a biblical man pursues. You say, pursues. What does that mean? Well, the passage we just read... Verse 15 says this, that the Lord God took the man, Adam, put him in the garden of Eden, and notice this phrase, to work it and take care of it. Now, while we'll unpack those words in just a moment, here's the first idea. God created all of creation, all of the earth, and although it was without sin, the earth is not organized and cultivated Rather, God creates one little place on earth in the middle of a desert. If you look at where uh, Eden most likely was, it's in the middle of really a barren place. But God creates this perfect space and puts the man there and says, this is the prototype. This is the standard for all of creation. And he says, I want you to work it, to tend it, to take care of it. And then he says, notice this in chapter 1, he says, be fruitful. And increase in number, men. And the whole church said, yeah. No? Anyone else? Okay, we'll keep going. Be fruitful, increase in number. Notice this. Fill the earth. Not Eden, but the earth. So he's saying what you've learned in Eden, now carry that out to the rest of the world. What you've seen perfected here, take everywhere else. That's what it means to pursue in the biblical sense. That God has given you a mission and a purpose and to pursue is to fulfill the mission or purpose of God. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me give you the simplest definition ever. Are you ready? What it means to pursue is this. Wherever you are, leave it better than you found it. Wherever you are, brother, you leave it better than where you found it. If you are on a sports team, you leave that team better than how you found it, that does not necessarily more runs, although that is awesome. It doesn't necessarily mean more goals, although that is awesome. To leave your team better than how you found it is to leave the players on your team elevated Encouraged and inspired to be who god has created them to be if you're in a club men It's not just that you have the most group spirit It's that you are leaving those around you better than when you found it if you are a father You leave those children that god has given you for just a few years better Than when you found them And don't you remember how you found them? They were screaming at you So the bar is not terribly high necessarily But you raise them up This is what it means to pursue. Now, what this also means is it's not a passivity to be a man because to be a man, you step into the spaces and places God has placed you and you're looking around with almost a metal detector sound going, where can I raise the people? How can I be a blessing? What can I say or do that inspires people to become like the people God intended for them to be? By the way, I want to congratulate you men. This is a church full of men who are pursuing this. You make me better. You make your families better. You make this city a better place to live because you have taken hold of the call to pursue. The second word, though, is not just pursue, but he then, notice, says to provide. Everyone say provide. A man, a biblical man, is to provide. In fact, that's part of the text we just read. God put the man in the garden, and he has two words. He says he is to work it, and he is to then take care of it. But that word work it is this Hebrew word. It looks like abad, but it's actually avad. Everyone say avad. Avod, to work it, literally means to cultivate, tend, shape, to manage so that it bears life. In other words, a man makes people better. He pursues the mission wherever he goes. And, get this, he is cultivating things. Now, let me tell you what this means and doesn't mean. Here's what it means. This means that what we see in little boys. Isn't it interesting? You don't have to teach a little boy to go into the other room and build with Legos or blocks or build tree forts or forts in their bedrooms. I know lots of little girls who do the same. But for little boys, you don't have to go teach them those things. They naturally do this. Why? In the core of their DNA, God has said, your job is to cultivate and build, build tree forts, build businesses, build communities, build families, Show up in spaces. I just bought a book for my children called The Creator in You. And it talks about how God creates all things. And on the sixth day, He created you and me. And then the book says, God created lots of things. But there are many things God did not create. He did not create bridges and roads and skyscrapers and airplanes and computers and video games. Why? Because God wants you to partner with Him In building and cultivating this world. Now that's what it means. Here's what it does not mean, men. Some of us tie provision exclusively to dollars. I'm a provider if I make a certain amount of money or I'm able to buy a certain number of things. And while certainly monetarily providing for your family, making sure that they're clothed and fed is part of provision, I want to be very clear, brothers... You do not need a certain income to be a phenomenal provider. And it is a lie from the pit that often leads men to despair when their bank account seems to be the measurement of their masculinity. This is why when there's an economic downturn, many men go into despair and depression when they lose their jobs because they have tied their income to their worth. Do not confuse net worth with self-worth. They're not the same. Now, I want to be clear. Some of you, your spouse makes more money than you, and there's nothing sinful about that. What it means to provide, however, is if the family needs more or someone has to get a second job, you as the man, you say, I will sacrificially lay down my time, energy, and preferences. I'll get the second job. I'll be the one who will try to find a way to make this work. But it's not exclusively money. It is that you are a cultivator of people and places wherever you go. That's number two. Number one. You pursue the mission. You leave people in places better than when you found them. Number two, you provide. And then number three, biblical manhood is one who protects. One who protects. Let's go back for one final time to Genesis two fifteen and notice what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, here's the problem with this verse. That little two-word phrase, keep it, is a bad translation of the Hebrew word. You say, why? Well, the Hebrew word is the Hebrew word, put this up, shamar. Everyone say shamar. Shamar means to defend, guard, protect. It's more than just tending something. It is that you stand on the wall protecting what is behind the wall. The souls of your family and friend, you say, it is my job to defend guard and protect and by the way again we don't have to teach little boys to defend and protect they do it naturally not a one of us had to teach our sons how to roughhouse or to throw a good right well okay we won't get into that you didn't have to teach your sons how to take a stick and turn it into a lightsaber or a gun did you they pick it up and what do they naturally do they go to war. They defend. Now some of that certainly is a result of the sin problem we have in this world where we become aggressive in counterproductive or, def- or destructive ways. But before sin entered the world, God told men to guard, defend, and protect. Now here's a question, church. Why? Eden was perfect. The word Eden means delight. The world does not have a sin problem yet. So why does God tell the man, protect the garden? Because there is an enemy who is on the loose, and his one goal is to destroy everything God has built. And he starts at the heart of God, which is God's creation of you and me. And so God says to Adam, even before Adam knew what was at stake, he says, you protect this space. You be on guard. And the reality is many of us, we carry this desire to protect. In fact, we carry it in some very healthy ways. We also carry it in some creative ways. In fact, did you have you ever thought about the fact that playing sports is a form of protection? We are going out to defend the honor of our team We are going out to represent a group. We are facing off against an opponent. And in fact, we will use war-type language. We will talk about the opposition, or we will talk about defeating, or he destroyed his opponent. These are terms to describe this desire in every man to be a part of something big, profound, and purposeful. And how about this one? We play video games often for this very same reason, don't we? Now, I know some of you may know someone who's a basement dweller, and because of that, you go, that guy can't defend anyone. But let's talk about this for a minute. How many of you played Super Mario Brothers at some point in your life? I want to see some hands up, okay? What is the whole goal of this game? You've got a mustache-wearing Italian plumber named what? Mario. It's in the title. And what is he trying to do? Rescue the princess. Now, I don't know why a plumber is doing the rescuing. I haven't figured that one out yet. But who is he fighting against? Bowser. And what is Bowser? Well, he's either a dragon or a turtle or a turtle dragon. We don't know. But he breathes he breathes fire. Right, Connor, you're right. He's a dragon. To that point, point church, in the book of Revelation, how is the devil described? Hello? he is a dragon. So even in our video games as children, there is echoes of creation and the call to men to protect. Don't you let the serpent in. And the problem for me, and maybe you as well, is I have often settled for this lower cheap imitation of the epic war. It's the video games. It's the football games. It's the sports. Not bad, but church, if that's all we're living for, we are living below the call to stand guard for our wives, children, our churches, communities. For eternity, not some damsel in distress, but eternity is in the balance. And I want to again commend so many of you men for doing this. You now I know when we hear this, some of us go, I don't have muscles on top of muscles, digs. I can't do this. My nickname is not the rock, my nickname is the pudge. There's no protecting. How do I do this? Well, here's the good news. Notice in chapter three, it's not on screen, but you remember the moment. Adam and Eve are in the garden and the enemy enters in. By the way, how does the devil show up, church? As a snake. He begins to weave lies. He doesn't pull out a sword. He doesn't pull out an arrow. He doesn't pull out some physical weapon. Ah, maybe that should inform how we go to war as well. How does he attack? He tells lies about God and about Adam and Eve. Interesting. How did the world come to the state it is today? Eve is tempted. She eats of the fruit and you go, she shouldn't have done it. And by the way, she shouldn't. Question though, where's Adam? Well, she takes the fruit and goes, want some? She has had her hubby there the whole time. Guys, just a rule of thumb. If ever you come upon a talking snake, thump it in the nose and run with your bride. The way that we fight well, let's let's put this up. Ephesians chapter six, men. This is the battle we've been called into. Finally, be what? Be strong in the who, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, we must put on the armor to take a stand. If you're naked, you're not going to defend against much. You put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Why? This is the point. Listen to me very carefully. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against an opposing sports team. Our struggle is not against Bowsers. Our struggle is not against our boss or our coworkers. Our struggle is not against that annoying neighbor who never trims their bushes and they're always hanging over. You know what I'm talking about. Our struggle is not against church members who annoy us or decisions or this or that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Instead, it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of what? This dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me tell you why this is great news to all the men who don't look like the rock. This tells me That to be a true man doesn't mean that I can bench press a house. It means that I go to war on my knees for my family. That I stand guard spiritually. I am in the Word of God so I can identify a lie and refute it with the truth of God. And this is why some of the most mighty men I know are not physically impressive, but they are spiritual giants. And which is why everyone in here You can be. And so many are already the kind of man that God has called you to be. Now, let me just be real frank. For me, this is all good, but I don't measure up most of the time. Anyone else in that same boat, guys? Yeah! I got some good news. We're going to end on good news here. We're told that because Adam did not fulfill his job as a biblical man. The world goes spinning out of control. Chaos ensues. Sin comes. Death comes. And now everything is broken. The Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what happened, but then he gives us a picture of what also happened next. Notice what he says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, meaning the world is broken because of sin, and in this way death came... To all people, that's you and me, we're all sinners and we're broken by sin. He says this, notice this, he says, next slide. But the gift is not like the trespass. The gift of God is not like the sin. The gift of Jesus is not like the sin of Adam. For if the many died by the sin or the trespass of the one man, Adam, we all die because of his sin. By the way, are we all going to die someday because of sin? Death has a 100% mortality rate. For if the many die by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Here's all that he is saying. Adam's one sin brought death to us all. But the power of Jesus on the cross was more powerful than the sin of Adam and all of us. He gives us Salvation and resurrection power. In other words, Paul is saying there are two first men. Notice he says, put the line up, you have an Adam, the first man, and Jesus the second. And he's saying the first man dropped the ball, but the second one brought us life. The first Adam was given creation to tend, but Jesus Christ created everything. The first Adam failed the test in the garden. He ate, he sinned, and everything fell. But the second Adam, Jesus, passed the test in the garden. You remember, in the night before he died, he prays to God, not my will, but what? But what? But thy will be done. He passed the the test. It's not about self-exaltation, but God-exaltation. The first Adam ate from the tree, bringing us death, but the second Adam, Jesus, died on the tree, the cross, bringing us life. Adam Blamed his wife Eve. That is a weak move, fella. Blamed his wife for his sin. But Jesus forgave his wife, the church, for our sins. See, here's the good news. Brothers, you are doing well. But in the moments where you go, I am dropping the ball. I cannot live up to this image, this standard. Even the biblical one, I can't do it. Here's the great news. You don't have to be a superhero, Because the one perfect man has already come and rescued us all, including you. Think about this. The perfect man, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, He pursued you while you were still a sinner. The perfect man, Jesus Christ, has provided spiritual blessings. The perfect man, Jesus Christ, has protected you from Satan, sin, and death. So no matter how well or poor you're doing today, chin up, brothers. Jesus paid it all and now invites you as His brothers to join Him in pursuing, providing, and protecting for your sisters and siblings, your children and community, so that the goodness of God may be seen through this whole world. That's the call. And that's what it means to be a man. If you're like me, you look at this and you still go, man, I've got a ways to go. That's why Jesus' forgiveness is so powerful. You understand you don't have to be perfect to receive it. You simply have to admit that you can't do it and ask Him for help, for forgiveness, to be your Savior, the one who saves you, and then your Lord, the one who rules over you. And you say, how do I do this? It's very simple. Scripture says you repent of your sins. Say, I'm done with that life. And then you are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. And again, I tell you all the time, there's no magic in that water, no power in it. But you meet the one who has all power. And he will empower you to be who he created you to be. If you have any questions, I'll be in the lobby during this next song. But may we, as brothers in Christ, step in who God has called us to be as men of God.